five o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! flagship station of the ECU Pirates. That's right. Let's get started with today's Pirate Report here. Welcome in on the Get You to the Weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. We got Brian Mull coming up in a little bit to talk some college hoops. But uh, we start with a look at ECU and the Memphis Tigers set for 2 o'clock tomorrow. Our coverage begins at 1 o'clock here on 94.3 The Game with our Pirate Game Day Countdown Hoops Edition. 1.30, the network coverage kicks in, including our 100,000-watt flamethrowing flagship station of your ECU Pirates 107.9 WNCT. ECU will host the Pirates tomorrow after Kendrick Davis poured in 31 in Memphis's 96-89 loss at Tulane last weekend. Tigers are 7-0 at home. Going to be tough to deal with there. Davis, by the way, pacing the AC, uh, pacing the Tigers. Uh, Memphis with 6.1 assists per game. They're the leading assist team in the American. Pirates 1-2 against the AAC so far. Uh, Pirates averaging 12 turns a game. And if the Pirates can take care of the ball tomorrow, they will have a shot. Tigers and Pirates square off. You'll hear it right here. Uh, for the first time this season in conference play. Of course, uh, we all remember last year ECU beat Memphis in the first meeting on the game winner. You heard the highlight in the intro of the show uh, where Brandon Suggs made a uh, shot at the horn to beat uh, the Memphis Tigers. Let's get into uh, some of uh, the comments from the players following the loss uh, to UCF. Got those for you, but we start with uh, comments made just a short while ago by the head coach of the Pirates, Mike Swartz. He talks a little bit about the uh, game against UCF as he's viewed the film. You know, disappointed in uh, the way we finished the game the other night and weren't able to find a way uh, versus Central Florida and uh, doesn't get anything but get more difficult right now. Headed to Memphis here for a very challenging game versus a extremely well-coached ball club um, team that is high-powered on offense, and a very strong defensive team, you know, holding teams to 39% field goal percentage defense, and uh, we know what kind of atmosphere it will be in there, so going to be a great challenge for our guys. We mentioned uh, Davis's prowess, of course, transferring from SMU. Coach Schwartz on trying to limit him as much as possible tomorrow. What the word contain is, is the word, and we, we know what a dynamic player is, one of the very best guards in the country uh, in terms of, and also their duo with him and DeAndre Williams, but just they have great depth down the line. But Kendrick Davis is just a dynamic scorer. He's someone that makes them go on offense in transition, makes them go in the half court. He can get to the basket. He can shoot the ball, and he's really, you know, the head of the snake for them on defense as well in terms of uh, turning teams over. They force 16 turnovers a game. He and Lomax, I'm familiar with Alex Lomax, very tough guard that can uh, really spearhead what they do defensively so um, you know I don't I don't know if there's one any one game plan that anybody has and if someone has it I'd love them to let me know about it we mentioned the uh, turnover deal Pirates need to take care of the basketball tomorrow they have success when they do that historically this season and coach talked on that 
Yeah, that's as big a key as any, and it doesn't matter if it's on the road or at home uh, when you play Memphis or any team that forces as many turnovers as they do, and not only force turnovers. Uh, you know, we've seen that we've had games where we force turnovers and we struggle to convert on those. Sometimes uh, they are really good at doing that. Not only do they force the turnovers, but they are a dynamic team, getting out and running and finishing. And and now you put that in their building and what that would do to the crowd and what that does to momentum and gets them even more aggressive on defense. So uh, we have to make sure that, you know, we can take care of the basketball. It's, it's going to be a premium. Mike Swartz, hearing some comments from him, he was asked about uh, were there any recruiting battles while he was at Tennessee as the uh, associate head coach of the Volunteers in Memphis with Penny Hardaway? Tennessee is interesting. I mean, it's, it's such a wide state, and, and Memphis is on the western part of the state, and Knoxville, uh, University of Tennessee is in the eastern part of the state, so you don't always end up in that. Yeah, there were some, but uh, just great respect for Coach Hardaway and what he does there. Uh, Frank Haith, uh, one of the coaches on the staff there, someone that I have tremendous respect for, uh, friendship with, someone the ultimate admiration for, work with him at Texas when he was an assistant, and then was fortunate enough to work for him at University of Miami, and then as well at Tulsa, so I know what kind of dynamic coaching staff they have and coach Hardaway has built that program uh, to a national power and they're playing as good as anybody is right now uh, we've just crossed paths in when we've played at Tennessee and Memphis and sometimes in recruiting uh, but just uh, great respect for them. today's pirate report comments from Mike Swartz question to coach Swartz was will Memphis being off this week have any impact on the game we definitely, I mean, they had the midweek bye, and we come off of the game versus Central Florida, but that's scheduling. You know, I mean, at some point, maybe we're going to end up having some time off before we play someone, whether it's at home or on the road. That's just part of conference scheduling, and I know I know they've had great preparation leading into it, and you know, we just have, you know, the game is Saturday, and we've we got to both be ready to play. Coach Swartz talking about here, you know, ECU has had a chance uh, with transition buckets and then also uh, in their half court getting things going right at the uh, the hoop. But have missed a lot of those shots. Anything that the Pirates could do to remedy that? I think the experience is part of it going through it, and we do it, and we do it, you know, daily. And we do it. It's a huge part of what we do in practice. And, you know, when we played Temple, we struggled finishing at the rim. We went to Wichita State. We made shots at the rim. We played versus UCF. We weren't back as you know quite as good as we were finishing at the rim. So I do think that's the experience part. The more we get there, the more they're there. Um, I think we shot 35 free throws versus Temple. That means you're at the rim. You're you're getting there. So part we're having success with some of it. We're just not able to to completely you know capitalize every time. And it's something we can continue to work on every day in practice. Coach Mike Swartz was asked about uh, Caleb LeCount and how he has handled things about midway through his freshman year. Caleb is getting better. Um, you know, we've challenged Caleb that we understand. I mean, obviously he started last game, and, and I thought he did a really good job. The, the area that he was really good last game was defending. I thought Caleb did a really good job uh, doing some things that we asked him to, that we need him to do defensively, and he did that in the last game. And Caleb is someone that can score the basketball, and there's never going to be great pressure on him to score, but Caleb will be the first to tell you that he got three really good looks last game, and I think he expects himself to knock down one or two of those. And he he will. He will. But I've been really proud of Caleb in terms of uh, anytime you're playing the point guard spot as a freshman and you got to come in, he's got a good guy to look up to and play with and Javon Small. And I think they've been a nice tandem and they're both growing. Coach Schwartz was asked to elaborate a little further on uh, rebounding as far as uh, Ezra Ozar. He had uh, talked about wanting to get a little more off the backboards from Ozar uh, when uh, he spoke after the game the other night. This is what Coach had to say. 
Probably both because I think the mentality is to be aggressive and to go get rebounds. And I think when you are that, you learn positioning. If you're going to just stand and watch and be a ball watcher or you're going to stand away from the basket or what most young guys do, shot goes up, they run right underneath the rim. And I tell them, man, the only rebound you're getting is when it goes through the net, and that doesn't count as a rebound. So those are things that he's learning. Ezra has all the ability to be a dynamic rebounder. And it's just understanding that you got to go every time. you got to understand the importance of it, the intensity that it takes. And he's going to get there. He's going to get there. You know what? I would say this about Ezra, and this is why we love coaching him so much. I think he's able to look in the mirror and say, yeah, you know, averaging three and a half rebounds right now, I want to be better. It's not just because the coaches are we're challenging him to. He knows he needs to be better. And I think he's accepted that. And we talked about it a lot since the UCF game. And I think he's going to really show great effort there, and it's going to take time to get to where he wants to be, and we need him to be as a rebounder, but he's going to do it, and we have full belief in that. Let's uh, hear a little bit now from uh, Ezra Ozar. He uh, talked about what he learned from this most uh, recent game. Just uh, uh, moving forward, just teach me how to overcome adversity. Rebounding, finishing, and one-on-one defense. And then Ozar was asked about this game being a learning experience for him. We're talking about the UCF game Wednesday. I think every game is a learning point. Uh, Absolutely. Like, we just learn from every game. Uh, I mean, why wouldn't every game be a learning experience? <laughs> we lost tonight. More from the uh, post game of UCF the other night. Hearing from Pirate uh, players now to R.J. Felton, who, along with Brandon Johnson, both had 16 points to uh, pay CCU in the loss. Uh, this was the message in the locker room after the game question going to R.J. Felton. The message was um, we, had a, we had a guard, one-on-one defense. Uh, we just got um as a team we just gotta um, lock in and um and um and stay focused throughout the hard times. Felton asked what made uh, CJ Kelly who had thirty for the nights the other night so effective. During the game he just got open looks. Uh we he just he just start he just had a um, hot hand. And um, you know, when you have a hot hand those shots the shots start hitting. Yeah, he was great the other night, uh, and R.J. Felton denies that Brandon Suggs was uh, any sort of main focus heading into that game uh, this past Wednesday. Well, that wasn't our biggest focus. We was focused on um, on us. Um, even though he played here, all due respect, um, it's just we, we just got to focus on us. That's all. Some football as we wrap up uh, our Pirate Report on this Friday edition of the PJ Show that gets you to the weekend uh, edition. You know, uh, UNC, let's face it, took uh, three high school recruits off the pirate plate right before signing day. And uh, now you've got uh, three players who have left the UNC program in the transfer portal, 13 overall, but uh, you've got uh, some that have uh, come and decided to uh, make uh, their football home in Greenville. The most recent being Rara Dilworth, the uh, linebacker committing out of the portal yesterday. Of course, before the end of uh, last year, it was uh, the safety, Dontavius Nash, and then uh, the corner, Tymere Brown, back in mid-December. So uh, the Pirates picking up some players out of the portal from UNC, and uh, there uh, could be possibly some others. Rumor has it out there. Again, our coverage begins tomorrow of uh, ECU in Memphis. One o'clock uh, will be on the air here on 94.3 The Game with a special edition, a basketball edition, a Pirate Game Day countdown, a 30-minute lead-in, and then coming up on the uh, network, 130, 107.9 WNCT joins things on the ECU Sports Radio Network. We're going to have, for uh, all of you out there, 
coverage of ECU in Memphis, network-wide, and then the game at 2 o'clock right here tomorrow on the flagship of the ECU Pirates, 94-3, the game, and 107.9 WNCT. More house cleaning for you on Monday. Rini Angolia will join us, uh, ESPN College football analyst. We'll preview the national championship game as Georgia takes on TCU from Los Angeles. All right, uh, Brian Mull will join us on the other side of this break. We'll get to him and uh, preview some college basketball. What is going on with uh, the Duke Blue Devils, NC State with a big uh, victory over them this week? So we'll discuss that. We'll also take a deeper dive into Memphis, and uh, we'll take uh, Memphis and ECU coming up this weekend. So Brian Mull on that. We'll talk some college ball right after this. Brian Mull, our pal, joins us here as we uh, wrap up the week on the Patrick Johnson Show. Of course, uh, Brian available uh, on Twitter at BG Mull. On Twitter, Blue Ribbon uh, Preseason Handbook. He's also a college insider, part of Joe Lenardi's group. Uh, we'll get a little golf talk in there with Brian as well, but we'll start with some college hoops. Brian, uh, good afternoon to you. Thanks for taking some time here. Good afternoon, Patrick. Always uh, good to hear your voice. Start with Duke and NC State from this week. Blue Devils right now seem to be reeling and have not been terribly competitive or were not terribly competitive at NC State this week. Yeah, that's a uh, that's an upsetting result, I think, uh, in many ways. Uh, certainly, NC State came out and, and played terrific, but uh, – for Duke to get punched in the mouth like that, to be down 18-2, to two, to, to never really show a lot of fight and cut into that deficit at any point. Uh, there's a lot of questions right now around this program from from an offensive standpoint primarily. I mean, when you just look at the, the two road ACC games at Wake Forest and NC State, their offense has not shown up. And uh, I think there has to be – you know, some serious questions about Jeremy Roach's health. Certainly suffered that toe injury early in the season, and based on his performance so far, uh, the captain, the, the player that they were expecting to be their, their leader and, and kind of lead this young group on, on the road and in the conference has not performed anywhere near to expectation. And, uh, you know, John Shire's got a lot of work to do to turn this ship around quickly because, uh, you know, the schedule doesn't get any easier for the Blue Devils. Uh, you know, top 10 in Ken Palm, top 20 in Ken Palm consistently. This team's down to 30th. I think that's probably even a little high when you look at the shooting numbers. Not a good three-point shooting team and not really a good two-point shooting team either at this point. Turning the ball over uh, a little bit more than uh, anybody I think would have expected. And uh, they've got to figure some things out on that end. They're not playing with any pace at all on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think uh, I think it's time to revamp it a little bit if you can. I know Shire wanted to build it around defense early, and that's an admirable task. But you know, you, this team should be scoring. Uh, I just there's too much talent there, and uh, I don't know if he hasn't found the right mix. If Garrett Whitehead, who was one of the few bright spots against NC State, uh, perhaps can take on that role as, as a go-to scorer, but um, they've they've got to answer some questions on that end quickly. You know, I look at what they've got ahead of them, obviously Boston College tomorrow, and that seems, uh, you know, should be a a game they're able to take uh, care of business on. But then they've got Pitt, who's 4-0, at Clemson, who's 4-0 in the uh, ACC, 12th-ranked Miami, and then at Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech has uh, scuffled a little bit. 
but they got to go play them uh, at Castle Coliseum, and that's that's been a little place. You know, everybody likes to joke about how state losing it uh, or, or losing at state is something that's kind of an occurrence. Devils have dropped some games uh, in recent history at, at Vautech. So this is a really interesting three, four-game stretch coming up after tomorrow for Duke. Uh, no doubt. And uh, even this BC team, uh, I've been impressed with the way they fought, uh, especially at home, uh, knocked off Virginia Tech in the overtime earlier this season. Uh, but, yeah, this will be a defining stretch for the Duke Blue Devils. They, they need to turn it around quickly. Uh, you know, certainly Pittsburgh playing as well as anybody and, and, and the surprise of not only in the ACC but across the country. And then you look at John Shire, rookie coach, having to go against Brad Brownell, Jim Laranega, and Mike Young in back-to-back-to-back games. I mean, you're talking about three guys who cut their teeth at the mid-major level and have uh, been solid to, to, to very good coaches at the ACC level. So uh, there's there's no rest. I mean, there's no there's no time to sit around and feel sorry for yourself. Uh, they've got to figure some things out. Change some. I think they have to change some things up. And uh, if Roach is not healthy, this could be a long season for the Blue Devils. Brian, what does this do for NC State, though? Uh, yeah, it seems like uh, with Terquavion Smith, they've got a dynamic score with a with a kind of a winning personality. This is a team that uh, seems to be a lot better than what Kevin Keats ha- had last season. Yeah, I think it's been a promising stretch. Uh, still uh, two and three in the ACC, so a little bit of work to do there. But Smith is a bona fide scorer, like you said, and really a, a player who seems to make his teammates much better. Jarkel Joyner, the transfer from Ole Miss, has come on here in conference play. And DJ Burns, uh, who starred down at Winthrop for a couple of seasons, uh, the big man is really uh, embracing his role in, in the middle. They've overcome some injuries, um, yet they've still been able to, uh, you know, to win, and that's a win that will uh, will, will help them uh, build their NCAA tournament resume. They still have some work to do, but in the ACC, certainly some opportunities, including Virginia Tech this weekend. We mentioned Brian Wall does some work with uh, Joe Lenardi. He does have the pack among his uh, first four uh, out. He has uh, Memphis among his last four buys. It seems like that Joey, uh, Joe Lenardi is very bullish on Memphis. Pirates play Memphis tomorrow. Uh, do you agree with uh, where Memphis is right now in the last four buys? Because that would have them pretty securely in the tournament. I think they did tumble a little bit from his early week projection. But uh, what's your thought on on this Memphis squad? Well, I think this Memphis team has taken a step backward on defense as they've gotten into conference play, uh, certainly with their length and athleticism and depth. I felt like they had the potential and looked like a very good defensive team in the non-conference with some of their performances. But giving up 86 points in a home win against South Florida and then giving up 96 on the road uh, at Tulane. I mean, Penny said that's just unacceptable. There's nobody that should score that many points against us. And I think that will be a point of emphasis for them and really something to pay attention to going forward. If they can make improvements on that end of the court, there's enough offensive firepower. Not a great three-point shooting team, but there's enough rebounding and, um, you know, just ability to attack the basket there that they should be consistent on that end. So uh, really, uh, I would imagine they're going to come out with a strong defensive emphasis against ECU this weekend. We got uh, Brian Mall uh, out with us uh, here as uh, he is uh, talking with uh, talking with us. Pirates uh, lost to UCF. And speaking of uh, UCF and Joey Brackets, uh, right now the uh, Knights are 
actually uh, have kind of tumbled a little bit as far as the next four out. You know, I thought they looked good. I think this team has the ability to be a tournament team. They defend very well. They've got good guard play. They've got a sensational star player in in Hendricks. Uh, But that's maybe a, a, a story for another time. But ECU saw UCF come in, knock them off for the 15th straight time after a really good performance and I think a very good win at Wichita State. I mean, it's a learning curve right now in Greenville because the, the roster's so young, and it's young from the standpoint of everybody's kind of going through this at this level for the first time. What I think you're seeing, especially with the Pirates, uh, Brian, is the case was the case with Temple. Temple kind of dictated the physicality of that game. With the game against UCF in the second half, they kind of controlled tempo. I thought they played really well defensively, but I also think that they were able to do what they wanted on defense. It doesn't mean ECU wasn't, or on offense, ECU wasn't playing you know well enough defensively. They did have some breakdowns, but I just view that as that's a veteran team. Guys on that UCF roster knew where they needed to get to put themselves in a scoring position, and they did. Yeah, just so much of this conference, and we're seeing it across the country, uh, just the, these battles, these one-possession games in every league. doesn't even seem to matter if it's home or away. And what, what I've seen, if there is a common theme, you could pick one out, is just the older veteran teams that have guys who've been through these battles and just understand execution, the value of possession, not turning the ball over uh, late. And I think that's what we saw at the end of that UCF game. Yeah, they just made a couple more plays, and – uh, Mike Schwartz has to be encouraged that his team is in these games, uh, literally, uh, you know, losing uh, two home games by one possession. But uh, they've got to find a way to uh, just keep fighting through and growing. And uh, if he can keep this team playing hard, which I think that he has, uh, and, and, and keep their spirits up uh, through a, a tough part of the schedule here coming up, um, the future's bright. You know, he's uh, it, it is, they remind me a lot on the defensive end of the way Rick Barnes' teams have played at Tennessee the last couple of years, which uh, you would expect. And uh, they, they've really done a good job protecting the paint, and even though being a little undersized, done a pretty good job on the backboard. Brian, uh, Houston, number two Houston at Cincinnati on Sunday, a game on ESPN. Um, obviously, anytime you go on the road, it's going to be a test. You're going to get the opponent's best shot. And we don't doubt the talent on this Cincinnati roster. They just have not been able to to kind of put it together. So how much of a challenge is this going to be for the Cougars on Sunday? Yeah, it's a big moment for Wes Miller, I think, in building his program in Cincinnati uh, to have a number one, number two Houston team come into town. Uh, you know, it's, it's Cincinnati had a nice win at Wichita State. Certainly they're struggling a little bit right now, but uh, – you know, the Cougars are just the class. I mean, I, I just don't see any weaknesses on this team whatsoever. You know, it's embarrassed SMU. And, uh, you know, I, I would expect uh, – I mean, in my opinion, if they lose a game in the conference right now, it's a major upset. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, at home, it's it's a win. I mean, you might it's, it's going to be tough for anybody to beat them at home. You know, I do think with Houston – Again, this will be a challenge for them because they they should be getting Cincinnati's best shot uh, this weekend, you know, undoubtedly. And when you kind of look at what the Cougars have uh, on their docket as far as um, the remainder of, uh, you know, what's ahead for them scheduling-wise, 
Uh, they do have to go back to UCF on the 25th. I think that's a tough one for them, personally. I think that could be tough, and obviously they got Memphis two more times. So, I mean, those are the two, those are the two opponents that I think right now are best positioned to maybe hand Houston a loss, potentially. Yeah, I agree. I just when you look at this Houston team, they're leading the nation in offensive rebound. I mean, they rebound forty percent of their missed shots, and then they're second in the nation in uh, in effective field goal defense, which kind of combines twos and threes, top five in two point and three point defense. I mean, that's just an incredible combination. Uh, and they don't turn the ball over, and they force turnovers. I mean, those those are all just winning part of the winning formula in, in basketball. And uh, and things that generally are consistent from night to night. Uh, Calvin Sampson's really done an amazing job there. Hey, could you hang through the break? I got a couple more basketball general things to talk to you about and, and do want to touch on some golf before we say goodbye. Sounds good. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we're going to be uh, getting more with him on the other side of the break. Right now, a 94-3 The Game sports update. Thanks, Patrick. ECU basketball back in action tomorrow on the road as they travel to Memphis to take on the Tigers. After a disappointing loss at home to UCF, Pirates are looking to bounce back. Tip-off is set for 2 p.m. tomorrow. Coverage begins at 1 p.m. with our local Pirate Game Day countdown pregame coverage. Network coverage begins at 1.30 right here on the flagship station, the ECU Pirates. 94-3, the game. ECU has named a replacement for Steve Shankweiler, the offensive line coach for East Carolina. Head football coach Mike Houston announced Thursday they have hired Alan Mogridge as their next offensive line coach. He's been a college football coach for 21 years, most recently at South Florida, where he held the same exact position. Mogridge played at the University of North Carolina from 1996 to 1999. He played tight end, fullback, offensive tackle, and defensive end for the Tar Heels. Coach Shank, Director of Alumni and High School Relations, is his new title, and he's still sticking around with ECU. Speaking of football, some breaking news earlier today. As sophomore cornerback Juwan Powell has announced he has officially entered the transfer portal, reportedly Juwan Powell decided to sit out at halftime of the Birmingham Bowl. The exact reason why he did that is not yet known. We do know that he has two years of eligibility remaining in football when it comes to him in the transfer portal. The National Football League says the game between the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals has been canceled. Today, the NFL will hold a special meeting to figure out hypothetical playoff scenarios, including where to play certain games that involve either the Bills or the Bengals. On Thursday, doctors said DeMar Hamlin has shown remarkable improvement. He has communicated with his teammates recently and has talked to them. So that's definitely a very encouraging sign for that scary incident that happened Monday night. The Panthers and Saints will battle for pride this weekend in New Orleans. Carolina made headlines earlier in the week after ESPN reported Panthers owner David Tepper met with Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh. More on that later. Interim head coach Steve Wilkes is still considered a strong candidate for the head coaching job. He took over from Matt Rule kept the team in contention for the NFC South title until last weekend's loss to the Buccaneers. Starting quarterback Sam Darnold on the team's play since Steve Wilkes took over as head coach. You know, Coach Wilkes has, um, you know, since he's been in charge, has, I thought, done a great job. Um, you know, obviously, you know, we got one more to go, and I think we're all focused on that. The 6-10 and 10 Panthers kick off against the 7-9 and nine Saints Sunday afternoon. Former Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman has decided on his transfer destination. The ACC's all-time pass and touchdown leader is set to join the Notre Dame Fighting Irish for his final collegiate season. Hartman announced the decision through his personal social media page on Thursday. Drew Pond, who started 10 games for Notre Dame in 2022, 
transferred to Arizona State last month. Hartman went 27-18, and 18, leading the Demon Deacons during his time there. He has thrown for 12,967 yards and 110 touchdowns in his career. That's going to do it for your 94 Through the Game Sports Update. This 94 Through the Game Sports Update is brought to you by Team Boneyard, an NIL initiative directly supporting pirate student-athletes. For more information on how to donate, go to teamboneyard.org. On the other side, we'll hear more from Brian Moore on all the latest in golf and college basketball that comes your way on the other side right here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Insider, Blue Ribbon, your book also. Brian, part of Joe Lenardi's team, covers golf as well, Caddy Network and other outlets. So a busy guy. Brian does a lot of things. All above board. Just just does a lot of things. Uh, we've got Brian Mull with us here. Uh, Texas coach Chris Beard fired following the December arrest. Uh, this seemed to be, uh, you know, a an, inevitabil- an inevitability. And uh, now there's... Clearly upheaval at Texas, but you're talking about uh, as well candidates possibly to replace him at Texas, and there's some reports out there that John Calipari could be on that group. I I think Gary Parrish might have been floated that name. That's just my that's just my personal opinion. What do I know though? Yeah, that would uh, <laughs> that's a head scratcher. <laughs> um, I've heard one. I mean, Calipari is 63 years old. Does he really want to? tackle a new challenge uh i mean certainly they're not happy with him right now at kentucky the season's not going as they had hoped coming off of embarrassing first round loss in the ncaa tournament and the year before that one of the worst seasons in kentucky history so uh things are not looking good in lexington uh and uh things are not looking good in austin uh rodney terry uh who has some ties in north carolina spent some time as an assistant coach at uncw and uh he is now the head man there, and having to navigate that Big 12 conference schedule is a stiff mountain to climb. Yeah, who who is who? I mean, I, you see Eric Musselman's name. You got Holtman is a name that's been mentioned. There's some assistants out there. What 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 do you think ultimately happens at Texas? And do you think? Well, let's just start there first. What do you think ultimately happens? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think Brad Underwood from Illinois will be a name that will be bandied about a bit. Uh, Dennis Gates, who has turned Missouri around in one year, is an interesting name that, that I heard. I mean, he did a phenomenal job at Cleveland State, resurrecting a dead program there, and has certainly done the same in his first season early at Missouri. Uh, it, I would think they would want to go with someone on the younger side. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they basically are 0 for 2 with their last two hires since Rick Barnes left to go to Tennessee. And um, they, they need to, they've invested a ton of money, build a new arena. They need to, uh, they need to figure this out because the expectations are high. And year in and year out, the Big 12 is the most strenuous conference in the country. Uh, they play the tree round robin, at least they have in the past. And certainly with Houston coming in next year, it does not become any easier. All right, uh, I want to take advantage of our time here, so I'll move on to kind of one of the next big items here, and that is uh, the official, the report of the official recommendation from the NCAA Division I Transformation Committee. Boy, doesn't that sound like trouble. 
uh, released earlier in the week, amongst the most notable items, a 39-page document uh, that would enable Division One sport. 39 pages would enable Division One sports to field postseason tournaments that accommodate as much as 25% of the sports membership. Automatically, people. Uh, the, the caveat being only sports with at least 200 schools participating would be empowered to potentially act on that number. And again, it's a potentially act on that uh, number situation. Everybody leaps to basketball as the case. We've seen it floated out there in various incarnations for various reasons over the last couple of years. Make it an open tournament. Make it a uh, a situation where you double the field. Um up to 96. I mean, we've seen all kinds of things. So what is your reaction to this? Because we could see as many as 90 teams that are out of what the current 363 head in. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is a recommendation. I don't think uh, the, the powers that be have any interest in, in, in making that drastic of a change to what is most, you know, most people consider the best sporting event of the year. Uh, I could see the field going to maybe 72, um, you know, maybe, maybe expanding those midweek games uh, to, to uh, kind of have uh, give the opportunity to some, to some teams. The only way it works in my opinion is if you reward teams who, who won their regular season uh, from, from the mid major leagues and, and lost in their conference tournament, but had great seasons. But I think if we're, we're expanding a tournament so we can put in the 10th place team from the SEC or the Big Ten, uh, I think that's a, that's a terrible idea. That's a, that would be a disaster. But if you want to reward a team that won 26 or 27 games uh, and, and got knocked off in its conference tournament, then I'd be on board with that. But uh, I think you and I both know that's probably not what would yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that the clearer heads will prevail here. And uh, if we – if there is expansion to the NCAA tournament, it's very minimal. Uh, there's no reason to have 90 teams in the tournament uh, when you consider that that more than half of the teams that compete in the Division One basketball are not competitive whatsoever as far as it uh, you know relates to the postseason. Brian Mall uh, with us. Game of the week next week or, or this week ahead is going to be played right here in the state of North Carolina in college basketball, isn't it? There's no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, you're looking at uh, a phenomenal potential matchup with uh, UNC Wilmington hosting the College of Charleston. As of right now, going in, each has a game this weekend, but they have the the, two, the nation's two longest winning streaks. Uh, Charleston's obviously climbed into the top 25 the first time that a CAA school has done that since David Robinson played at Navy in the late 80s. And... Uh, you know, what a great environment certainly will be sold out and uh, hopefully picked up by CBS Sports Network so the rest of the country can see it on national television. That remains to be seen. But, uh, uh, yeah, two two programs with hot young coaches and uh, really uh, playing, uh, playing as good, you know, playing basketball as well as anybody can play it right now. Yeah. I want to ask you real quick a couple golf questions. One, we've got a tremendous event. Uh, out in Hawaii going on right now. So that's going to be a fun weekend as far as golf goes. Yeah, a little primetime golf from Hawaii. Uh, always a nice way to open up the new year. Uh, on Maui, uh, 
everybody's basically playing who still plays on the PGA Tour with the exception of Rory McIlroy. Colin Morikawa off to a hot start in the opening round. John Rahm as well. So certainly some star power at the top of the leaderboard. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a cool event. Uh, watch some basketball during the day and then flip it over and catch a little golf in the evening and, and wish that you were uh, 5,000 miles west. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you about uh, live golf making some headlines here in the last couple of uh, weeks. What's going on with the LIV tour? Yeah, just interesting there that uh, two of their top administrative folks uh, have resigned here in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, kind of unusual for a, uh, a fledgling tour, if you will. You would think they would want to have the same leadership in place, but uh, – you know, it seems like they have their roster and their schedule set for the for the new season. We'll be cranking up here in a few weeks, and um, you know, I'm not really ex- exactly sure who's going to fill those positions. But it's a little surprising that you would have such turnover at your top spots, uh, and also some talk of Greg Norman perhaps being on the way out as well. Ah, uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Brian Mull, always great to talk uh, hoop and a little of uh, of the links with you. Yeah, always a pleasure. Everybody have a great weekend. There he goes, Brian Mall with us uh, here. Yeah, what ends up happening happening ultimately with uh, Live Golf and uh, and the PGA Tour? It all, and it really it comes down to the the majors more than anything. We've already seen that the Masters have decided that they're going to uh, allow guys uh, to play. And then, look, there's a handful of guys that have exemptions to get them into the majors. Uh, Cam Smith uh, is is most notable among them, of course. Uh, DJ is uh, most notable among them, uh, DeChambeau, also uh, Kepka. So you, you have guys that are going to play in the majors. The Liv's got to do, and we're not, you know, tilling any new ground here necessarily, but Liv has got to to kind of clean up how they do things with the individuals in their golf tournament. you got to have cuts. you got to have, I think if there's a cut, even if they stayed at three rounds, there's a chance. But I think Liv ultimately is going to have to comply to some of the world golf requirements and i'm not saying those are going to be the requirements from uh the world golf ranking folks i'm just that seems to most logically make sense so we'll see how all of that plays out in the uh in the coming uh months here in the coming weeks and uh and see how that is is going to be something i mean we're obviously entering a very interesting point uh and the more interesting point uh for golf i mean really between now and the masters is extremely interesting and it stays fairly interesting but let's face it, they play a whole month of their uh, season at a time where they could be playing it with, with staring football right in the face, even though they try to finish things up by, by Labor Day. It just it, 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 This is a new season. This is going to be a new way they go about doing things with the uh, the wraparound season going away and, and all the events are coming up in the fall. Okay, uh, we'll uh, wrap things up with some uh, news and notes, a look around the local scene. And there's an ECU alum who's back on the mountaintop, so to speak, or at least back in a position of power with a company they founded. We'll give you those deets when we come back on the PJ Show. Of course, we've got coverage of ECU and Memphis uh, coming your way tomorrow, 1 o'clock right here on 94.3 The Game, and then we will have uh, coming up for you uh, 1.30 uh, network coverage on uh, uh, ECU in Memphis. 107.9 WNCT will join coverage at that time. And then 
Two o'clock tip from uh, Memphis uh, tomorrow between ECU and uh, the Tigers of Memphis. Uh, ECU women are back in action uh, this weekend as we go through some news and notes heading into the uh, the big weekend. Uh, among the things going on, uh, Pirate women's basketball, as we mentioned, uh, back on the uh, hardwood. They are coming off a win at Memphis themselves this uh, past uh, week. Got a big victory on Tuesday. They'll play on Sunday at 2 o'clock as they will host Tulane. High school basketball going on tonight. Boys and the girls for the varsity playing for the J.H. Rose Rampants. Coming up at the top of the hour, they will have the girls game at Newburn, followed by the boys game uh, from uh, the Bear City. Conley is at Jacksonville tonight for South Central. They will travel to Havelock. 6.30 is the tip for the girls game there and then the boys game to follow. Farmville Central takes on West Craven. Varsity girls early, of course, varsity boys uh, after that. And then uh, according to our notes here for the Farmville Central Jaguars, they will uh, turn around and play tomorrow against Millbrook on the boys' side in a neutral site game. County uh, matchup, inter-county matchup tonight, league matchup as it is uh, Aiden Grifton playing host to North Pitt tonight. Talking some more basketball, it is Oakwood hosting Epiphany. JP2 playing Parrot Academy. Girls game at uh, 6 there with my man, the coach, Kelly Johnson. They're off to a very nice 10-2 and two start. Uh, have a tough one tonight, he was telling me, against uh, JP2's girls. And then the uh, boys to follow at 7.30. Greenville Christian in action uh, today. They are on the road taking on Victory Christian. Girls also uh, earlier today playing Victory Christian for Greenville Christian. Pitt Community College will be back in action starting this weekend. Uh, they'll have two games on the road at Davidson Davy Community College tomorrow at 3. And then Sunday at 4, they'll be at Guilford Tech, they'll be back at home midweek this week, a 6 o'clock tip against uh, rival Lenore Community College in a uh, region game for them. No chance, so that's what you got. Whoop against a machine too strong. Pretty politicians buying souls for runs. Ah, the theme music of the very one and only Vincent Kennedy McMahon, ECU uh, alum. Billionaire, for crying out loud. World Wrestling Entertainment confirming uh, earlier today that former CEO and majority shareholder Vince McMahon will be reinstated to the company's board. The company's stock, since it is publicly traded, spiked 20% on the news of McMahon's comeback. Uh, Press release from this morning. Today we announced the founder of WWE, Vince McMahon, will be returning to the board. The board's confirmation follows McMahon's own announcement on Thursday that he intended to reinstate himself as executive chairman and launch an effort to get this sell the company. He also said he would bring back former co-presidents Michelle Wilson and George Berrios as board directors. Uh, The three current board members removed from their positions. Two additional directors resigned from the board effective today. McMahon initially stepped down as CEO after an investigation found that he paid nearly $15 million to four women over 16 years to quiet claims of sexual misconduct. Even during his leave, McMahon maintained control of the company as a majority shareholder. 
In November, a regulatory finding, WWE said in that Mr. McMahon can effectively exercise control over our affairs. McMahon saw a need to return to his board position as the company faces negotiations over media rights and strategic initiatives moving forward, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal. WWE has been spotted as a target for acquisition recently. An uh, analyst at MKM Partners, which has a buy rating on the stock, said in a note Friday that an immediate exploration of sale for WWE makes a lot of sense. WWE confirmed Friday it would review strategic alternatives. There's no assurance this process will result in a transaction. Shares of the company are up 75% in the last 12 months. The stock trades with uh, a capital, a market capitalization of more than $6 billion. So essentially, the takeaway here is Vince McMahon is looking to sell WWE. But the WWE is quick to point out that even though they are undergoing this exploration, quote, there is no assurance that this process will result in a transaction. Uh, you know, this is uh, kind of interesting. There's a lot of people who follow pro wrestling who believe that this is where all of this was kind of, uh, kind of heading, uh, kind of heading. And uh, we will see where, where this goes because... They are selling their TV rights for billions of dollars. That's one reason they are so profitable, because even though the TV numbers aren't quite what they once were, they are selling the, uh, the they have sold their rights for just a ton of money. And apparently at some point this afternoon, it may even be happening now, there's a uh, what they're calling an all-hands WWE employee meeting. So we will see. Uh, McMahon also reportedly has changed several company bylaws, one of which includes the requirement of any media deals or and or company sale to be approved by him. So that kind of leads the fuel to the fire of what we were talking about there. So Vince McMahon, who's already a pretty rich guy, ECU alum, uh, is uh, standing to maybe be an even richer guy. Uh, and hey, wouldn't the McMahon indoor practice facility be have a nice ring to it, would it not? A couple of interesting uh, notes here as we are uh, playing out the string here on this uh, Friday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Uh, some breaking news for all NCAA baseball fans. Uh, the NCAA Division I committee announcing that moving forward, the home team in every matchup of postseason play will be the higher seed. The overwhelming majority view on this is that it is a positive, makes total sense. You know, it's too little too late. Well, too little too late. I mean, there's some people who are still bitter over some things for – I'm not saying our fan base. I'm saying some other fan bases. Uh, there are a few that have kind of wondered, you know, is this really needs to be something that's really high on the NCAA's, uh, you know, list. And uh, but but I think this is something that the NCAA has gotten right because I mean, home field advantage to a degree is is earned. I you know I know there's a committee, but I mean it's that's generally an earned thing if you've got if you've done really well and you're seated as a national seed. You know, and it, it takes away some of the things of where dugouts have been flipped and home teams not being able to use their own locker room if they've earned the right to host. So I have to I think that appears to be a pretty common sense measure. So that would have meant, for example, last year in the Super, Pirates would have been the home team in game two. It played out like it did. Obviously, Texas did a great job uh, in the confines of those rules. But Texas, you know, batted last in that really important game two. Granted, they scored seven runs over the final three innings to win it, but you just kind of wonder how that might have changed things in that game, although the Pirates did have a pretty good-sized lead in game two. 
But, you know, does that, does that change with ECU not being the home team, that game two, and they were up? You know, Pirates were, were the home team in game three, which started in the middle of the night. Didn't come into play there because Texas kind of set a tone early. But, again, I think overall this is a pretty healthy and smart move. Those 8-9 matchups, though, the Super, and really 7-10, I mean, there's just such a margin of error. It's so slight when you get to that level if the national seeds go through. It, it could be tough for the – national seats, but I would say it, it places a little more emphasis on winning in the regular season. It makes that more important, even though it is a, a committee deciding things. All right. So some news and notes for you there of interest today. Uh, and uh, we'll be back on Monday. Rini Angolia will join us. Uh, we'll talk uh, the national championship game and some college football with uh, Rini Angolia, ESPN college football analyst. Looking forward to that as it'll be uh, on Monday TCU and uh, Georgia for the national title. Panthers football on our sister station, 103.7 WTIB, coming up on Sunday, 12 noon airtime, 1 o'clock kick uh, over on Talk 103.7 WTIB. Pirate basketball tomorrow right here on 94.3, the game beginning at 1 o'clock. Have a 1.30 airtime across the network. 2 o'clock tip, ECU at Memphis. Uh, we'll have the women's game for you as well on Sunday. A 2 o'clock tip, uh, we'll have ECU and Tulane playing uh, women's basketball on Sunday. You can hear that right here on 94.3 The Game. Thanks to Brian Mall being on with us today. Thanks to our uh, guys behind the scenes. Hope you have a great and safe weekend. And uh, we'll see you Monday. Talk at the town in the morning. And then right back here at 5 on the Patrick Johnson. you should always find. you got to saddle up your boys. you got to draw a hard line.